0: Welcome to Altered Potters, where we hang out with fellow artists and talk while getting a little altered. I am one of the hosts, Ryan Myers, a full-time studio artist and instructor.
1: And I'm the other host, Rochelle Miller, a ceramic artist and instructor, and this is Altered Potters. Hi, it's Rochelle. and. Brian. Again.
0: <laughs> I think you'd know my name by now.
1: <laughs> Letting you talk. Um, and we have a guest today. We have Guess previous one. guest potter, friend, fellow drinker, Randy Becker, who was a teacher at a school outside of Madison and Verona for many, many years and now is living in South Dakota and making lots of bison pots or pots with bison. Oh, cool. Oh, Buffalo.
2: Buffalo.
1: And you can find his work at his Instagram site, which is R-A-N-D-Y, Randy, B -B C K E R. Check it out. They're beautiful pieces. As always, we're going to go around and talk about what we're drinking, what we're drinking out of. So, Randy, you tell us what you're drinking.
3: I'm drinking dark rum by a company we will not name because they're evil (laughs) and uh, tonic. And I'm I'm being very uh, incestuous here because timing and... Life, But I'm drinking out of one of my own tumblers, recently uh, salt-fired in Tony Winchester's Kiln in Iowa. And it's, uh, it's a beautiful little little uh, tumbler. It's got uh, fake avery slip and some rutiles. You know, there's a rutile silver and rutile green and some splashes of uh, bright red uh, velvet underglazes. And it's really comfortable around my lips my lips are really comfortable around it (laughs) i had a girlfriend i had a a girlfriend like that once (laughs) she fit nicely in your hand she's okay now (laughs) so so glad to be here we're gonna talk smart and maybe have a little bit of fun but I'm not responsible for anything I say. <laughs> <laughs> or we
1: just have Frank edit it out, if it's too, if it's too... Reishi. Reishi. Uh, r- 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 well, a, a lot of blank <laughs> oh spaces. In <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Ryan, take over.
0: Well, to continue mispronouncing potters' names in every podcast.
1: Why would I'm, you change now? Yeah.
0: I'm drinking out of a Akira Sataki, Japanese Potter, North Carolina. I just got two of these whiskey cups. I've been wanting a piece from him forever, and now I got two. Woohoo. So I'm excited about them. They're wood fired, ribe glaze. I feel like if you're a potter, you know his work, so I don't really need to describe it. I've been jonesing on his pieces forever, and I'm just too cheap to drop the money. And I got these in a trade. So.
1: Oh, well, that's a way to do it. Yeah. Very nice. Well, I have a Tom Bartell doll head I'm drinking of. Oh, did you say what you're drinking, by the way?
0: Oh, no. Whiskey. Oh, whiskey. (laughs) Uh, Redemption. Redemption rye. I've had it before on the podcast. It's just a simple, nice, easy drinking whiskey. 92 proof. I don't know. My mom saw the bottle. She's like, 92 proof? You got to (laughs) quit drinking whiskey.
1: I use it to start my fire. (laughs) So I have a Tom Bartel doll head that's slip cast and it's a little bit creepy, but it's the first time I've gotten to drink out of it and it's working quite nicely for my wine. I have a Sauvignon Blanc. It's nice and white on the inside so I can actually see the color of my wine, which... I don't know if it's important, but it's nice. And if you end up in the summer when you get fruit flies who also like your wine, then you can see them right away before you swallow them.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. (laughs) You still need the proteins.
1: Yeah, Yeah, those do pack it in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) By the way, we're sitting outside on my pier. So as you heard earlier, a plane went over when Randy was describing his sweet little cup. And so that
3: was the plain truth.
1: I guess it's going to be dad jokes this yeah, podcast, yeah, huh? We, <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to bug you, but, you know. It's a beautiful night in August. And Randy, when did you come back to the Midwest?
3: Saturday, last Saturday night evening, I got here. Okay. Are you technically out of the Midwest? Uh, so, uh yeah, cuz of... as soon as you get past the Missouri River, uh, then you're, you're western you're in the west, and then you get by Murdo that you're in mountain time rather than central time. Once you see the first buffalo, no, then you're in heaven. Yeah, you know, there's a big difference. (laughs) Not to be confused with New Jersey. Yeah, yeah.
1: So your place in South Dakota is, you said, by Custer. Hot um, Springs,
3: South Dakota. It's in the Southern Hills. Seven miles By from Wind cave, cave National yeah. Park.
1: But you're saying they're buffalo, not bison. Do you know, what? Is there a difference? I guess oh, I, yeah.
3: Yeah, there's a big difference. I uh, thought
1: there weren't any more buffalo and that they're all there, bison there are now.
3: Buffalo, technically, are water buffalo, which are just in Africa. Okay. Bison are in America, right? Right. But I'm stubborn and...
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Holding you know, on you you to the buffalo. You, know, you,
3: you know, what What sounds better, bison or Buffalo. It's that one more syllable. It's also, you know, dances well, with wolves. A little more to yeah. chew buffalo. on. Buffalo. Tatanka. To buffalo. <laughs> buffalo. Okay. You know, not bison. That's what you That's say to your kid when he's going to school. Bison. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say buffalo.
1: Buffalo. Well, so, okay, do you get buffalo by your house?
3: No. They, bison. They, they stay, bison, but not buffalo. You know, bison. They, they uh, stay uh, in the parks or on the ranch. There's A lot of private herds around the area too. They'll go wherever they want. Sure. You know, there's no fence built that's going to stop them. But you know the trick in raising buffaloes is just convince them they don't need to leave, keep them well fed. And they're amazing animals. It tastes really good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, want more buffalo? Eat more buffalo. So you know, then,
1: do you have um, moose that come by, or no, elk, no, or anything no, there's, else? There's
3: elk, deer, yeah, you, prairie dogs, coyotes. They say we don't have bear. The pictures that everybody had on their, their don't Dormals. have thingy- yeah. thingies and was probably just one of those Chinese weather balloons or something, but we have occasional bear wander through the neighborhood, but they usually hit the garbage bins at the local bars that are full of uh, Budweiser and Bud Light. They throw all their Bud Light out now because, you know, they don't want to have any transgender bears coming into the bar. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, anyway. we're, a, here, we're here to talk about ceramics. That's
1: a so. mess, man, that yeah, whole thing. Yeah. Well,
0: that. I buy Modelo a lot, and here, now that's the new beer that's popular instead of Bud Light. Well,
3: Modelo's actually a good beer. I yeah. think what's, what's happened, I live in redneck country, so yeah. to speak, pretty conservative politics in my neck of the woods. And I think what's happened is that because of their politics, Bud Light isn't going to be their beer of choice anymore. And so they've discovered what real beer tastes like, and they're not going back. No, they're not going back. Okay,
1: let's talk pots then.
3: Well, I got into ceramics later in life. I was uh, 31 when I got out of the restaurant business, went back to school Mm -hmm. to become an art teacher. You have to take so many credits in different disciplines and whatever. And for my three-dimensional requirements, I started out doing sculpture worked with Ernie Moe and learned how to uh, cast fiberglass and stuff. And to make the cast, we had to make stuff out of clay. And I really enjoyed that. I hated the fiberglass and, you know, though we made, made some good stuff. And Ernie was great and learned how to weld and stuff. After two semesters of sculpture, I decided, uh, well, since I like clay so much, I'd take a ceramics class. <laughs> as Soon as I started working with clay, first time I sat down on the wheel with the clay, although I was absolutely terrible. It was like honey I'm home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was blessed to uh, be able to work with Don Wright's for five semesters. No, five years, so that's eleven semesters. I'm not a math major. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I can only count to twenty one.
1: Yeah, that's all you need. So. <laughs> had you always done art prior though to the like no, the restaurant no, business I, I, or uh, like why no. art ed?
3: I grew up in South Dakota and where I grew up there was
1: Chatty There's,
3: there wasn't any art in grade school or middle school and high school art was just for the losers and the druggies and I was kind of a wannabe jock and cool kid. So although I had always drawn, copied cartoons and stuff, I never took any art classes. And then I went to St. Olaf College, declared myself an art major and took my first art class in a basic introductory drawing and design class. Most of the kids at St. Olaf were from Minnesota or Wisconsin, and Mm -hmm. they'd all had quite a bit of art in public education. And, you know, I'm basically drawn, you know, like something a little bit below a sixth grader. (laughs) You know, at 18, 19 years old. And it was pretty embarrassing. I struggled. But at the same time, I also discovered uh, sex and drugs and rock and roll. And I wasn't exactly the stellar student at the time. Uh, probably too, because I am so intimidated by that process. So I skip classes here and there. And we're about six weeks into the semester by halfway. And my professor, Dorothy Divers, comes up to me and says, what's your major, son? And I said, art. And she said, no, it's not. You're wasting my time and years. Go do something else. Kick me out of the classroom, kick me out of the program. Wow. Oh my I didn't have it. I didn't have the talent, the skill, or the discipline. That didn't bother my ego at all.
0: I was told a similar thing, and it was further into art education program. Yeah. Like, year two, maybe three, you're not going to make it sell and work. And, I don't know, it kind of just pissed me off where I'm like, well, I am going to do it. <laughs> you know, like, I'm going to work harder. Early on, though, I remember just being so intimidated in those first-year critiques being sweaty and nervous and kids
3: crying and like it was (laughs) intense well and i i really believe you know having you know lived through this i mean i'm still here yeah there's a drive there's a need to make to do my mother was an english teacher i grew up with shakespeare and i've always been a very good writer so i switched to for a major i got a triple major basically in creative writing in, in American literature, art history, and philosophy, You've been focusing on aesthetics. Mm-hmm. We called it creative studies.
0: In those three things,
3: right away you think of like restaurant business, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I went to St. Olaf, kept on drawing and painting on my own. I, mm-hmm. I bought a book called Nicolet's Natural Way to Draw, mm. which is a really good book. It was written like in 1890. It's difficult, but I could sit down and draw a graphite image of you and look like a black and white photograph.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I would fucking hate it. I'd sweat <laughs> blood to do it. It'd probably take me 60, 80 hours at mm-hmm. least to do one drawing, mm-hmm. but I can do it. People always say, well, you're, you're so talented, or, you know, I don't have the talent. And that's just bullshit. Talent's just wanting something bad enough to work for it. Discipline is an important thing. Yeah. Backing up in high school, I did really well on my SATs, which was kind of a fluke, but I think i you know, I'm, I'm not a dummy, mm-hmm. but I got like the second highest score in South Dakota in the SATs that year. Nice. I also got drafted for the Vietnam War that year. I, well, I got my draft notice. I was uh, a senior in high school in March. I was number 32 in the last lottery they had that actually went to the war. Wow. In the draft. Number twenty eight was the last to go. Oh wow. And I had to report for my physical, to get ready to go. Which was b- pretty much a big head fuck. Yeah. When, as a senior the lottery day was very, very stressful. And then when I saw my number I'm like, you know, I'm fucked. Do
0: they still have that for they don't
3: have the lottery anymore. Because I remember
0: you... when I turned eighteen I got like a razor in the mail and yeah, like yeah, a, got, an enlistment. You... Yeah, you, really? you, yeah. you you've got, you've got
3: to register, yeah, register for the draft oh. but they don't do anything oh. you know where you know I, I registered when I was 18 but then they had the lottery towards the end of the war they went to the lottery instead of just the local draft board picking and choosing who from yeah. the locals they're going to take because there's so many protests about them just taking the poor white and black people you know the rich people would have bone spurs and not have to go mm-hmm. yeah
1: or flat feet
3: yeah. Even though I I'm very flat footed. I you pass my I, I pass my no, I passed my physical. That didn't they say flat feet, but
2: yeah, if you horrible. can
3: breathe and cough when they stick a finger in your balls you're, you're, you're clear you're gone. You know, I was surprised. I thought my flat feet would get me out of it, but it didn't. But anyway, I, I never, I didn't have to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I went to Saint Olaf. I had a brother who was going there because of my SAT score. I got a really good scholarship and a work study program. That's mm-hmm. where I started working in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. Although in high school I'd worked in a like a hot dog, sandwich shop thing. It's sort of slopping ice cream and hot dogs and sandwiches to little kids. You know, it's a gross job, but. Um,
1: but the tips are really yeah, big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs> Went to University of Iowa. I got in the writer's workshop.
1: So do you still write now? Or like, because um, that's pretty, it seems like no, it's, uh, it's a big I, I've been
3: thinking about going back life. to it. I had professors tell me, like, oh, you're going to be the next James Joyce. And what the hell? What do you, what's a 23, 24-year-old kid supposed to do with that? Mm-hmm. What are you going to write about if you haven't lived? In the meantime, what mm-hmm. are you going to do to make a living? Right. Yeah. So. And, you know, I had the writer's block from hell. Since I was accepted to graduate school, I signed up for a graduate life drawing. They, it, was,
1: it was better this time?
3: Well, they didn't kick me out. They didn't say no. Hmm. <laughs> so it was like, great, there I am, That's you know, fun. in a room with a naked woman, drawing. Life is good. <laughs> you know? So yeah. the
2: naked
0: woman that we drew all, all the time, there was a couple others, but 90% of the time was this woman named Willow was very hairy. And no matter where I sat in the room, I feel like she would turn to face me and I just had the perfect angle to see right up her everything. And then she would talk to me about her reptiles and snakes while I was drawing her and uncomfortable. And she lived in an area where I grew up and I mentioned that. So then from there on, she talked to me all the time. And
1: I loved figure drawing and I like the more voluminous people to draw because yeah, they're she was way very, more fun.
0: Yeah. It was nice. Or curvy. That way.
1: But yeah. they can't be getting paid much. And so there's... <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> and and it's, when, it's cold. And they would, be, and,
0: they would back out Now that was work study. So sometimes you'd be like, can you pose? And I'm like, I'm not going in my, bu- you know, buff. like." I have to, like, these are my classmates. Like,
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's a big ass to say.
0: Yeah, so uh, I would, like, be the, be in my underwear there and sit. But I couldn't sit very long. It's, yeah, hard, it's to,
3: hard. It's hard.
0: It's hard. It's
1: super hard because you get all your lines if you're holding a pose. Everything yeah. gets kind of yeah. baked in.
0: There was one woman. She had both of her kids there. One was, like... A toddler, and the toddler would just come up and start breastfeeding oh while we're drawing. And it was so awkward because you're <laughs> like, because you're trying to draw real and you're life. like, I don't know what to do right now. Like, <laughs> I guess I should have worked on that nipple earlier. <laughs> like, <laughs> do you baby. have the
1: baby? Oh, that yeah. is so interesting. Yeah. We was... had a guy who's go beat off in the closet and come out all red and sad. What? <laughs> yeah.
0: Someone that you drew?
1: Yeah. It was uh,
2: so gross. If I like, sit out there
0: naked, I'm gonna get turned on. I gotta take care of this. Excuse me. God. Excuse me.
3: <laughs> Party break. <laughs> Fortunately for me in Iowa, I had a professor who showed me a bunch of stuff and encouraged well, me, and I, you know, I did really, I did really well. I got, you know, B pluses and A minuses.
1: But that's so that weird, like, that's what your other professor should have done. That's harsh. Dorothy
3: Divers was a printmaker. Oh. And this takes me back to ceramics. In ceramics, you can't be a control freak. Mm-mm. You've got to be able to work well with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, literally, you know, probably thousands of people I've met in all the years I've been in the clay world, there's only a handful of people that I think are jerks. I don't want, or bad luck, bad mm-hmm. medicine. You don't want to be around them. Or they're that anal where they're you know they're, they they yeah. should have I'm been be printmakers because yeah. you know, think about it, printmaking is very sequential, very step by step, and you can't alter that or it's not going to work. Dorothy was really a printmaker, and she just she extremely didn't, rigid. Yeah, you know, and I don't think she was a good good teacher. Bless her soul. But mm-hmm. but on the other hand, here I am. I persevered or whatever, right. and that struggle of life. I've got a new neighbor in South Dakota who's uh, 80 years old. His name's Ricardo. He's a character. He, he looks like he's 58. He's built like a brick shithouse. He has a gym in his basement. He lifts weights every day. And he's banging on my door every morning, wanting to get in the studio. And when he's learning how to throw pots at 80 years old. Oh, mm, wow. He's highly educated. He, he was a professional marble sculptor, sculptor. He's really, you know, he knows art. Like- but he's also, also a published poet. Wow. And he was uh, a writer in Hollywood, working on some movies, and you know, so he's
1: Yeah, he's pretty, been, pretty he's been around.
3: But he and I were just talking about this journey of this thing called life. Why the fuck would an 80-year-old guy want to learn something new? Why not? Why not? That's why he yeah. looks like he's 58. Yeah, yeah. back to you know, me teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, I always said to my kids beginning of each semester, who are you and why are you here? Learning how to throw a pot is not an essential adult skill. Trump doesn't know how to throw a pot. George W. Bush doesn't know how to throw a pot. Obama doesn't know how to throw a pot. So why the hell am I teaching kids how to make this stuff? And this isn't what I'm teaching the kids. Mm I mean, we're trying to get wet dirt to stand up while it's spinning, and then we're gonna put it in a fire. Then you're gonna have a ton of failure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what could go wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? So what you know, what is it that we're teaching the kids? It's a lot of life lessons there. You ask the normal American parent, what do you want for their kids? Well, I just want them to be happy. We have it in our Declaration of Independence. We all have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, yeah. Yeah. but in our culture, happiness is a thing. Yeah. You'll be happy when you can move out of your parents' house. You can ha- be happy when you can have sex, or you'll be happy when you can get high, or a marriage will be happy if we can have another kid, and that always works out really well, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I challenge the kids to think about being good. Well, when I subbed yeah.
0: for you when you had your knees done, it was insane how loyal like your students were and even like the early you know the the ones that had your class for the first time the freshmen yeah. and stuff like that you weren't there very long in the semester before you had your surgery but they were still the ones that got it got it yeah and some of the other ones like while i was there it took a while to get through to them but then by the end i'm like well we needed to like just skip right into the next semester and you need to take more clay right away yeah. and the atmosphere there was amazing yeah, right. But you never got to eat lunch by yourself or like <laughs> it was
3: crazy. There's just students nonsense. Always 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 kids. Well I think the yeah. art
1: room for so many kids who mm-hmm. are trying to find who out who they are it's a safe haven yeah, for those exactly. kids, and it's necessary. And you've had a lot of people where they really found their voice and their purpose by learning to work in clay and now continue to do so. Yeah,
3: I have been blessed with a number of, of kids who have gone on to be very successful in the ceramics world, like you know, Lauren Mabry and Jeff Campana, Shannon Sullivan, Noel O'Connell. I mean, i got a few more I could list but even more so were the kids who were a challenge. Just this trip, uh, one, of the, one of the students I, I had, um, you know, he was just a typical high school boy, very full of himself, occasionally threw a good pot. You know, we had watched a video on Don Wrights, and Wrights had said in the video, if you ever think you've thrown the perfect pot, you're dead as an artist, you should go sell shoes. And you know, this kid said to me, I've thrown lots of perfect pots, what are he's talking about? <laughs> you know, and I said to him, oh, you're gonna learn it one way or you're gonna learn it the other way, you know. It's just, you know we, we butted heads a lot and he was full of himself as most teenage boys are. It's like uh, Mark Twain said, when I was 17, my father, the dumbest man on the planet, when I was 21, I was amazed at how much he'd learned in four years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. So anyway, this guy contacted me, I was here and he, I met him Couple nights ago. He's a librarian, a teacher, and he's got kids of his own. And he's apologizing for me for being such a dickhead, and that all the things that I taught him, besides the clay, are what's influenced his life the most. Mm. You know, and then those things are, are really important.
0: Well, you took the time to know your students. Yeah. I would come back after teaching and talk to you about yeah. the students, and you're like, oh, you know, this is what's going on in her life. Not that you need to know this, but you need to know it. And, yeah. you know, she's just getting through life. Like, she's doing all she can to get so through well. the day.
3: Yeah, and that's why I always made it a point to greet everybody at the door. Mm-hmm. And you can see how you're doing and, you know. But on the other hand, you never know what you're doing. <laughs> it was my uh, second year of teaching. I had a class from hell. It was. 26 kids in that class, 14 of them were special ed, and and six of them were at risk. One of those at-risk kids was a short little Hispanic guy, so he had the short man complex going on, where he was angry and wanted. And then he also had this real macho thing, and he would come in class every day and walk around the room and physically touch every girl in the room. Oh, no.
2: And everybody,
3: you know, it was real uncomfortable. You know, it's like, he, he can't do that. Yeah. He was uh, very disruptive. A couple times during the first semester with him, we had physical fights, like he, once he came over a table and jumped me on my back oh and my started God. pounding me on my head. And, but he was such a little shit. I mean, I'm not a big man, but he was such a little shit I was able to kind of stiff arm him, hold him up against the wall. Well, some, we didn't have phones in the classroom at that time. Right. And so somebody would run out around the office and get one of the principals to come help me. Because he was kind of semi-special ed, they never kicked him out. You know, he'd get suspended for a few days. And, well, they
1: probably didn't know what to and do and what, with
3: Whatever, that. and my desk was right by the classroom. There's a big picture window. So you could sit at my desk and look out into the classroom. He was so disruptive, I often had to have him sit at my desk because I just couldn't have them in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I tried everything that I knew in my restaurant business, like when I worked at the Madison Club. One time I had 22 Cuban dishwashers working for me, and I didn't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. You know, I know how to manage people, watch people, and deal with people through that, all the years of working in the restaurant business. I tried every trick I know trying to reach this kid. And the little background of the kid is that his mother was a prostitute in uh, Las Vegas and he'd come to Madison to live with an aunt or somebody, you know, to get away from the gangs and stuff. Mm -hmm. At that time, the introductory art one class was a year-long class. We're just starting the second semester and he gets busted for having a knife and a bag of pot at school. What year was this? This was uh, 89, Mm -hmm. 90 maybe. And so he actually gets arrested. And you know, he's in some sort of juvenile halfway house or, you know, he's supposed to be going to court. But he escapes and disappears. Nobody knows where he's at. He's gone. And towards the end of the school year, it's in May, the girls in my clas- are all standing outside my classroom crying. And I go up to, what's going on? And they tell me that this guy, he had uh, been killed, mm. that he'd been shot in the stomach. <sighs> in a gang fi- gang mm-hmm. thing in Las Vegas. He'd gone back to Las Vegas Dad. to find his mother, but mm-hmm. he had been killed. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, I tried my best, you know, it's just, it's very sad, but I knew in my heart I tried my best. Mm-hmm. And so you move on and deal, okay. Fast forward to 95, we just built the new studio. School hasn't started. It's a day or two before school. I'm working late at night, trying to get the room set up, getting everything moved in, and putting stuff away, hanging up. And it's after five o'clock, and hardly anybody's in the building. And I look up, and who walks in the fucking door? <laughs> the old student. That kid. <laughs> He's growing about six inches and probably put on 120 pounds of muscle. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. My first thought keep a table between us
1: yeah, you don't know what you're you know, walking into yeah. you know
3: a like was I was fearful yeah. you know we were I had several fist fights with this little kid I thought you were dead i heard you were shot in the stomach he said I was he pulled up his shirt and he showed me the scar. The wow Ooh. you know and I said well I'm glad you're alive but why are you here <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and he said well there's somebody I want you to meet and so he stepped back on the hallway and he waved and this young woman with a baby comes walking in. Aww. And this kid tells me that he's, he's cleaned a father. up his life. He's working as a construction worker in Milwaukee, and he wanted me to meet his wife and his kids and to thank me for being the only adult in his life that ever cared for him. Aww. Wow. It, it profoundly affected my whole career. Yeah. Where you, you never know how you're reaching kids, mm-hmm. the, the things that you say and do. So, you know, the only thing you can really do is to be true to yourself. I just happen to be working in clay, but I'm really just trying to teach kids how to love and be good and to mm-hmm. take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really what it's all about, what this journey is about. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia, is also an amazing theologian. He wrote this little book called Surprised by Joy. I highly recommend people read it. It's, the essence of the book is, that's the purpose of life, mm-hmm. is to find joy and happiness. It's like the Lakota talk about, the creator loves beautiful things. That's why there's so many of them. That's why we hear the geese, we see the beautiful sunsets. Mm-hmm. We hear this song of the insects. Life is full of beauty and joy if you just take the time to notice it. And that's why we find joy and making white dirt stand up.
1: You brought that around. I'm yeah. impressed. Well done. Well done.
3: That's why I get the big money. <laughs> up against the wall, redneck mothers, <laughs> mothers who have loved your son so well. He's 34 and drinking in a honky tonk, kicking hippies' asses and raising hell. Yeah. He was born in Oklahoma. His wife's name is Betty Lou Thelma Liz. He was raised by his mother. (laughs) Can't help the way he is. Pretty good, huh? Yeah.
1: What can't you do?
3: Walk on my hands.
0: (laughs) When I subbed at Verona for you, there was a brief time where I'm like, I can actually teach public school if I can get into a space like where you taught and what you built. I mean, your space was better than most small colleges. I remember in grad school, I mean, you had me come in. I had a show. And I was crazy nervous to have a show at a gallery in a high high school school. (laughs) because you had such great shows in that gallery. I mean, it was just an amazing place. Well, the fact
1: that you have a gallery in a high school.
0: It
3: was a big space.
1: I mean, that is pretty unique.
3: I've always been the type of guy that just, I just don't take no for an answer very well. Mm -hmm. You know, I get my mindset on, it's either I'm a stubborn German, I'm too dumb to know better, or even though, you know, I suffer from low self-esteem, so to speak, because of a bunch of other shit in my life. No, you figure it out. Because my my mom was a school teacher, my dad was an accountant for the state of South Dakota. I understood a lot about how the game is played. In college and high school, I learned early on, figure early on, if you want to succeed, You ask a lot of questions of your teachers and professors and you agree with them and they think you're really smart. (laughs) You want to get people to support your program. You uh, start playing the politics. You get on committees, you start Mm -hmm. knowing people. On the school board. I got to know school board members and beginning teaching before we had a gallery. I found exhibit spaces in Madison for the kids like at the Lutheran Campus Center and uh, the Wisconsin Center is just up the street from the union. They'd let me bring, you know, put up our shows and we'd have openings. And then I started inviting artists to come in and.
1: But you kind of showed them I, the value yeah, of and, all and, of that. And, and,
3: and I politicked, you know, I got up to school board and challenged them. It's like, how many tens of thousands of dollars do you guys spend on a basketball court mm-hmm. or a football field? And where do the arts get displayed? You have an auditorium for concerts and theaters. What do the arts get? Hmm. You know, a board in the hallway? <laughs> you know, who Pretty the much. hell? You know, it's like, wh- what does that say to the kids? What does that say to me? How much yeah. you value my work? Why do you want me to try to do the best I can when you don't do the best you can for us? Mm-hmm. I embarrassed them. And then you get the argument well, we can't give up the classroom space. And I'm, I'm like, all right, fight is on. You're telling me. That this isn't a, isn't a classroom space. Kids aren't learning stuff about themselves, and other kids aren't learning stuff about visual literacy, mm-hmm. about being able to see things and create things. You know, Einstein said imagination is more important than information. I get something in my in my that gets into me, and I just won't quit. And and so I think they gave me the gallery space. This has shut me up. <laughs>
1: I think, though, that that was wise for you to recognize that you have to fight for what you need. And eventually that squeaky wheel is going to get the grease.
0: And you also had how many students in the NSEKA K-12 show? It was crazy. Um,
3: We had kids who won major awards in the national K-12 show 15 years in a row. That's amazing. Maybe 17. And someone like Jeff Campana got the best of show in the very first national k-12 show oh, really? with a wood fire pitcher and cup set
0: yeah because most high school kids get to wood fire you yeah. know <laughs> i mean so your yeah. classroom you had uh, how many wheels
3: we had uh 14 wheels 14 wheels well, one of them was my wheel that yeah. You know, kids could use if I wasn't, but I, I was always making stuff during the classroom. And true confessions here, I built a great facility. Mm-hmm. And part of it was serendipity. I was politicking to get to this facility to get, as we were building the new addition to the high school and stuff. One of the school board members' daughter was a troubled child. She was skipping school. You know, she was a wild child. And, and the only reason she came to school was for ceramics. He was the president of the school board. And so he threw his weight behind me. He got it that, you know, if it wasn't for art, and specifically ceramics, his kid would never have gotten through high school. And a side note is she has a very successful art therapy counseling service in, uh, I think it's in, Phoenix, but it could be Tucson, I place. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of little side stories like that of getting community support kind of serendipitously that mm-hmm. they got it. Verona people stepped up. The bottom line, all that stuff, the, the wood kiln, the gas kilns, was basically for me so I could make my art. But it wasn't selfish in the sense where I well, I need to make my art and the kids are just along here. Incidentally, one of the first in I went to this woman, I think, I think it was in, in Cincinnati, this woman was talking about the important things in a, in a culture, kids to spend time, significant time with an adult other than their parents. And I thought about that in terms of teaching. You know, in high school, kids go room to room, a different classroom every 50 minutes. You have a different boss essentially every hour. Mm-hmm. Different set of rules. We expect them to be nearly adult. But they still have to ask permission to go to the bathroom. Mm. No wonder your kids are bored. There isn't a connection to their life. And so I thought about that as far, how am I going to teach? And she taught about some of the other things, about how we need to know who our symbol makers are. We need to celebrate significant events. There's important things about our food. Most of us can live our whole lives if we choose to and never touch the earth. There's always going to be something between us and the earth, and there's so much Energy is a power and life that comes from the earth. Clay artists, we dive into the earth, we immerse ourselves into that feeling of the dirt.
0: Most ceramic art I mean, everyone that I know that's a potter is into food.
3: Yeah. 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 Well you look yeah. at the vessel. It's of service. Yeah. You know, Wright's always talked about that. Pots have attitudes. It's oversimplifying, but it's basically fill me up and use me or closed in and it's like what the hell are you looking at yeah yeah <laughs> you know and then the other thing i think about i taught the kids is it, there's no right or wrong answer but this is an important question as as a ceramic artist to ask yourself what's more important to you the space that's created by the clay that's wrapped around it or the surface of that clay and that will inform a lot about your decision making and what you're what you're trying to do. It's just an awareness that you should have Wrights and Breckenridge were classic examples of the of the opposite poles of that. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know Wrights was very romantic you know his pots a good pot is it's like a skin stretched around this breath it's you know it's filling itself up with life and Breckenridge is like I just need something to put some color on. I want
0: crisp lines and sharpness. And
3: and they both, you know, they both have their place, but back to that woman in in Sika, one of the things she said is that if you're going to be a good teacher, this will go back to kids need to spend time with adults other than their parents. If you're going to be a good teacher, a good educator, a ceramic art, You know, the National Council of Educators of Ceramic Art. That's what NSEKA is. Mm -hmm. Then get out of your fucking studio and make some art in the classroom. Kids should see you making art. They should see you making mistakes. You know, it should be a participatory event. If you're an English teacher, Write poems with your kids. Do stuff. If you're a history teacher. Don't just read books. Go on the community and record history. Talk to people about their histories. You know that's why I designed the facility that we had because I always wanted to be making art, and I did. And I always included the kids. One of the things that inspired me, I was you know in my 30s, but it's an undergrad, Richard Burkett, who was teaching with Wrights because Breckenridge was chairman of the department, would frequently asked me to critique his work, asked me about stuff, you know, treated me like a peer.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And it really built my self-confidence, just feeling that respect and that camaraderie. And so I tried to do that with my kids, even though they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah. You know, I the still teenage. treated them just like people who have feelings, emotions, and ideas. You know, although a lot of times my pots speak to me, Hey, dumbass! I need a stripe over here. Right. You know, one of the tricks I learned. Especially, I got an obnoxious kid who just won't shut up. Just, get, just a jabbermouth, mouth, annoying. And so I go, "What do you think? Red mark there, or should it go over there?" And I would make you give me an answer, and then I do it. It's like all of a sudden now, now we have a, we have a relationship. Yeah. You yep. know, I've shown you some respect, and now you've got to show me some respect. Mm-hmm. You're talking before about just that atmosphere in my classroom. It's an organic thing that you consciously build, but then it feeds on itself. I had uh, an as, associate principal, uh, Dale Herbers. You know, I'm teaching, you know, busy, you know, because, you know, I got three rooms to sur- supervise and 20 some kids wandering around and whatever. I turn around and there's Dale sitting at my desk in the in the studio with his feet up on my desk. I'm like, Dale, what can I do? You know, can I help you with something? And he goes, no, I've just had a really rough morning and I need to calm down. <laughs> he comes so, in the studio. Yeah, comes and just sits in my classroom. <laughs> That's
1: when, nice.
0: I, when I subbed for you, I had a, there was a young woman and she was a freshman sophomore and it was her first clay class. And she just was done up. Like her fingernails were pristine and like she was going out. Every day she was that way coming in ceramics, just struggling with clay. And it was probably like three weeks until I finally, I'm like, you know what we should do? I mean, I go, clearly you're into fashion and you're thinking about clothing every morning when you wake up, getting ready for school. Let's make some clothing out of clay. And we made a hoodie, like a pretty sizable piece. And then when I was done subbing and you came back, you entered her work into, yeah, I went you know, to you Yeah, and she won an award. And I was like, oh, yeah. right. You know, and like mm-hmm. that was a proud moment for me because mm-hmm. it was one of those students that if I didn't think about it or take time with, like she would have just kind of glided through and probably wouldn't have cared about the class. But I finally got her excited about it. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, it took some time, you know, it can happen at METC too mm-hmm. with students, but it's really it's harder to do after
1: i think yeah, you I mean, know
0: late teens 20s and 30s like you're not as open as far as you know I, I, imagining things or just open i guess
1: i taught preschool up to eighth grade for five years i was an art teacher at a catholic school it was interesting watching the confidence and the fearlessness that kids Diminished. start out with yeah, yeah and they are just open, open, open to everything and excited about everything. And, and I saw it in my own kids too, where I'm just like, they are amazing. Of course they can draw a dog. Of course they can draw a monkey. You know, it's like, of course they can sculpt a pot or whatever it is that you put in front of them. And then all of a sudden, like second and third grade, they start to lose that confidence and they start to decide what they can and can't do. By the time they're in college, I notice some of them are like, I just, I'm not good at that. I just can't do that. And it's always I'm not just- not going to even try. It kills mm. me because it's like, you don't play the guitar the first time you pick it up. It's a skill that you learn over time. And if you're committed to it, no matter where you start from, you will get there. But you have to get your hands dirty and start. You got to yeah. f- just and then, start. There,
3: there's, I think, a lot of those kids run into Dorothy divers. <laughs> you know that, that some would tell them, "Me and I." They've already told them. Or they have. Are their peers? You know, their, yeah. their peer pressure becomes very strong. Their peers have told them that. And I model a lot of my teaching after how Wrights taught me. He never told me I couldn't do it. He just told me I needed to do it again. Mm. I really struggled to learn how to throw, how to, how to even center. We learned on the Wright's wheels, which were kick wheels, they had an electric motor attachment, but we couldn't use the electric motor until we could throw a six inch cylinder. Mm-hmm. And I was really struggling just to center the damn stuff. Coming in outside of class and probably three weeks into the semester and I still can't center. You know, he taught me some tricks. He came up behind me and put a towel over my head he blindfolded me essentially and said, now send her the damn clay. And I did, blindfolded. So mm-hmm. I learned, you know, like all these little tricks of, of the, tr- of the trade, but it's like he never, he didn't say, you know, you're no good, quit. He just said, keep on trying. Here's a trick that'll help you. And then, you know, I started being able to throw a little bit and he asked me what I wanted to do, why I was taking the class. After getting clay, even though I was struggling so much, I still just loved it and I told him, I would love to throw well enough that I could, you know, like work at Cambridge or someplace rather than, you know, making club sandwiches for a living.
1: Just make mug after mug after mug after mug mug for a living. So he said, okay,
3: (laughs) throw 20 bowls, put them on this board. And I struggled, it took me several days to throw 20 bowls. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just little, little bowls. And he looked at him, he threw them on the floor, said, these are shit, make 20 more. He didn't say, you're no good. You can't do that. He just said, keep on trying.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Another in event, this guy came out. He was holding a pot up and you know, to introduce his, his lecture. And he had, had this pot in his hand. And he said, how many people think this is art? Art versus on craft? Art versus craft thing, which is kind of what I thought the lecture was going to be about. And then he just drops the pot, and it shatters. He says, now how many people think it's art? It was a wonderful lecture. The essence of it is, this is not art. The pot itself is not art. It's an artifact of you making art. Mm -hmm. What's precious is not this. What's precious is you, the experience that you have, feeling that clay pulling it out of the kiln, all those different steps of the process. To using it. To using it. Yeah, to I it, was just gonna and, say it and, goes share, to the... and sharing that with someone else yeah. and knowing that you're enriching their lives. It's kind of cold outside,
0: but I just got goosebumps when you're talking about that. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's yeah. great. That's, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. That's the way I feel about, and I don't even know if I knew I felt that way until this second. I mean, I grew up around antiques and artifacts and things, and I'm always like, I want objects that are around, that have a life after my life is done. It is exactly what you said. Like, it's that importance of that object, to that person, whatever they're doing with it. And then thinking about the history behind it and how it came to be.
3: There's a Spanish philosopher named Santiana, and he wrote an essay about aesthetics that talks about emoting. Art is about emoting, it's about this sharing of emotion that makes something art. Whether it's music, uh, whether it's the the touch, like if you hold this, you feel the same thing as the person who made it. Warren McKenzie always talks about enriching someone's life by the simple act. Hamada talked about that uh, unknown craftsman, it's not about the person who made it, it's about the experience of it being made and about being used. Mm-hmm. Um, again, going back to Joy and, and C.S. Lewis, I just love the idea of um, people feeling joy drinking out my mugs in the morning. You know, to me, that's much more satisfying to my life than having something in a museum. I just
0: got the rustiest axe ever from the pile of remnants in brick that once was your kilns and all your stuff. And I cleaned it up. I didn't sharpen it all, but I just cleaned it up. And I've been using that ax for three weeks since I got it. And I'm like, oh man, this ax has split so much wood. Yeah, it has. And it's a a super nice ax. And I was really excited to (laughs) have it. Objects are amazing if you take time to.
3: When I first started teaching and. Corona, making pots. I wasn't satisfied. I didn't feel like a real artist because I, I wasn't in any galleries. You know, if you're a real artist, you're selling your work in galleries. got up the Courage, went to this gallery in Lake Geneva, showed them my slides, you know, whatever. And she started representing me and selling. We selling, should probably tell like, stuff. if
0: people listening are younger than the age of 40 slides were four. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs>
3: exactly, yeah. But, you know, again, I was like, wow, well, I'm really not satisfied yet, you know. So it's why, well, why is that, Mr. Becker? And it's because I'm not in a good gallery. You know, I'm not in a well known gallery. I loaded up my pickup full of, uh, Pots I'd made teaching at Verona. I had a whole bunch of pretty bigger pots I'd put a wood ash glaze on and really worked the surface. They're very rightsy, you know rights influenced. Mm-hmm. And I drove to uh, Minneapolis because I had heard about the M.C. Anderson Gallery. She represented people at sofa. Mm-hmm. got up the courage and knocked on her door. She was, you know, at the gallery, and she was like, I don't have time for this. I only look at new artists' work every third Tuesday after the sixth full moon of the seventh year, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: And I knew uh, Carl Borgeson and Charlie Olson, who teach at Whitewater, were represented by her. And you know, I, so I know these people, and I told her I'd studied under Wrights, and just to shut me up, she looked at my slides, and mm-hmm. said, these are interesting. Most of these are down in my truck, and it's parked right out in front of her building. and so. She came downstairs and looked at the pots I had in my pickup. There were like eight or nine pretty good sized pots in there, and she said, I'll take all of these and represent you, but I need 14 more. I basically had about three and a half, four weeks. She had me sign a contract where she had exclusive rights to me mm-hmm. to sell my work and all that. And, and I was like, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. <laughs> Time goes on. That march is when, when the first time Minseka was in uh, Minneapolis. She had a show and you know, my, some of my work was displayed. And you know I brought Wrights to the opening and you know, she was all happy and stuff, cause got lots of pictures of Wrights and I and her standing by my work and all that shit. And she hasn't sold anything yet. It's been you know, five, six months. I haven't gotten a check, but uh, I'm still happy. I'm, you know, with the, I'm running with the, pissing with the big dogs. You know, later on, late spring, early summer, I've got some relatives in town, Minneapolis, and they go up to the gallery and none of my work is there. They just had a couple pieces in the back room. She had like 20 some pieces of my work. So I, you know, I heard about this and I was like, what what the hell, I, you know, where's my money? I drive to Minneapolis, long story short, there's fine print in my contract where she had the right to rent out my work my work was like at General Mills and 3M oh, and, and Honeywell.
0: Well, not fine, but you know. <laughs> and
3: she was getting a monthly stipend oh for my that, gosh. and I was getting nothing. Uh, I was you could at
0: least got some cereal from I, General Mills, you know. And I was supposed <laughs> to be
3: happy because she was representing me. Yeah. And so yeah. you know, we 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 kind of had to come to Jesus. And I, I got all my pots back. And then I took them over to. We had a, a Pale Life Family show at Nseka that was in a gallery in St. Paul. So I took them all over to that gallery. and It made me rethink all of this. Yeah. You know, who am I and what am I doing?
1: When um, I was in college, because I, I went to Whitewater for undergrad, mm-hmm. at SOFA one year they had, Carl Borgeson had work, and I don't remember which gallery it was. It's probably MC Anderson. It, it may have been. And you know, we're all just like, this is so awesome, this is so awesome. And one of his teapots, they had lost the top two, and he used to make mm. these really prominent tops or lids that really completed the whole piece and it was missing. And we were overhearing the gallery owner bullshitting to a buyer that it was intentional, that it wasn't with a lid. And it was so, so interesting as a student to say, oh, it's not always about the integrity of the artist. Yeah. Yeah. They're making a buck.
0: I was in a gallery one time. I brought a carved jar and a carved teapot. They sold the carved teapot with the jar lid. And then I had this jar with a hole in the lid, you know, because <laughs> it was the teapot lid. <laughs> and I get there, I'm like, why is this messed up? And they're like, oh, we sold the teapot. And I'm like, well, you fucked this up. <laughs> and you're like, oh, sorry. Um, well we can give you a you know a quarter of the price of the jar and i'm like no and then i had a sculpture one time and it was it was a wall piece church basically upside down and the double steeple door was actually like a cooter Mm -hmm. so there was a naked woman on top of the church and the church was upside down and the door was vagina Mm -hmm. i get there they had the figure on a table in the church thing stuck on the head with like a bunch of putty, basically <laughs> holding it on. And I'm like, who's gonna buy that? I'm like, it's all <laughs> fucked up. And then the same place they had, I would make these boulder heads. So it was just heads They were like rocks and they had them on pedestals. And they're like, we don't want these anymore. I'm like, well, put them on the floor. And like, no, we don't want them. And we go, I said, put them on the floor. So they put them on the floor. They all sold. And they're like, we want more of these. And it was like a pretty good gallery. Like they moved work, but they kept doing things that were just so dumb. I got a check one time. It was for a different artist. This other artist got my check, signed his name to it with (gasps) my name on it it? and got it cashed somehow (laughs) and then I got his check. And then another time- Whose
1: check was bigger?
0: Mine was. Another time I got a check that was unsigned by the gallery And they're like, just forge our name. I'm like, no.
1: Oh my God.
0: And then I pulled out of it and they're like, why are you pulling out? Like you're a good seller. I'm like, this is insanity.
1: Like,
3: that's why, you know, for the last 30 years, you know, I found a nice niche in a gallery in Montana. And, you know, I've had other galleries around the country. I used to have galleries wherever I liked to go trout fishing. And so that way it'd be a business trip to go restock the, restock the gallery and go fishing
1: with galleries, I've had my share of shit shows, but the good ones, you really appreciate it. Well, like Able, I, they're like my pinnacle, because I mean, I feel like they are very professional. They respect you, they respect the work, and they respect their buyers. Those are people I'm happy to have them take half because they've earned it. Yeah. Well, and
0: they're artists and they know the deal and they work hard.
1: Yeah, they're on your team. You're yeah. all on the same team. Okay, we have to wrap this up because it is just getting darker and darker and we're going to hear more party boats coming through yeah, the river.
3: You guys out there in Podland, you're, you're not going to be able to see us talk anymore. It's so dark. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's wrap it up and talk about what's altering our world.
3: I'll tell you what's altering my world is this transition of life. You know, I'm going to be 70 years old in just a couple of months. In some ways, I feel like I'm still 18, trying to figure out what I'm gonna do when I'm gonna grow up. And then I say to myself, oh, well, you dumbass! You know, it's taking you 70 years, but don't grow up. My dad, he thought he would be dead by the time he's 75 because all of his brothers and sisters and his parents had all died by the time they were 75. And my dad was a grumpy son of a bitch most of his life. But by the time he got seventy-five, he kind of mellowed out and started being a decent person. He could have a conversation <laughs> with, and um, he said, he, "You know, the first thing he, he did every morning was uh, get up and check the newspaper and make sure his name wasn't in it, and then uh, look around the room, make sure there weren't any candles burning, and then he'd shit, shave, shower, and thank God for another day and just enjoy <laughs> life." And it's like I've been trying to do that more and more every day, you know, with the medical issues I've faced in the last few years. COVID almost killed me and all that shit. So I'm just happy to be here and I'm still making stuff and having a blast. And it's like it can't be wrong because I'm doing it, you know. Life's a good joke. I enjoy it. So, you know, keep on breathing. Okay, Ryan. Stay on the
0: top side of the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Did Bruce say that? It seems like Bruce said that all yeah, the time. Yeah, Bruce Bruce would say that. As so long as you're on the top of the grass, you're doing good. I have a sale next weekend and a thousand commissions in between that my October sale. But I'm really looking forward to getting the sale over and just maybe taking a few days and not making anything and not feeling pressure. I have a lot of stuff to do. I have trees that broke off that are in my neighbor's yard. I have trees in our yard, storms have been going through. There's like nothing but projects and it's manual work. And I'm looking forward to it at the same time.
1: But it's a lot. I don't know where I'm going. It's a lot, it's a lot on your
0: Maybe I'm just asking for help. (laughs) Help me, help me. It's been a summer. Like I've had injuries and surgeries and my dad passed away. I'm just kind of looking forward to winter and like getting the outside of my studio done and then having fires and being cold. I'm ready to like be cozy in my studio and just make.
1: And not making because you have a deadline next week. but Yeah, I have so many made?
0: deadlines. And then once October's over, I don't have deadlines until May. I don't know, my summer kind of just went by and I didn't really do anything fun. <laughs> I mean, a few like moments here and there. Yeah. I
3: beg so. your pardon. Well, this
0: is this fun. Is this fun. is a moment.
1: Exactly. Yeah, this yeah. is amazing.
3: Exactly.
1: Yeah. My world is being altered by the fact that school's starting up again. Getting my kids ready. I've got a, a kid that's going to skateboard camp in Pennsylvania, so trying to figure out how to fit driving him out to Pennsylvania to drop him off, and then also get all my orders done, and then get ready for school. And getting the kids ready for school, and I have a tour coming up too, and I have a workshop coming up. So, yeah, it's just um,
0: intense. It's There's, it's oh. and you
1: know, do you find because this is this is where I'm at right now, where I love carving out time to be with people because I definitely need that, but I get also, I struggle with giving up work time because that work is always waiting. Well, yeah,
0: I have a sale in three days, and, and you made if time for We didn't for do this, this I could have. You all could have made a whole bunch of stuff. No, yeah, oh. I could have finished my glazing and had it all done. I'm sorry. But, no, it's the way it works. But and, you know
1: the pod listeners really appreciate it. All three yeah. of you.
0: And,
3: <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> was it for the last minute you'd never get anything done anyway. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally. That's and, how we work best, right?
0: Yeah. And with Breckenridge, like you never got to work with Bruce, but everything came out of the kiln. It was you had to wear gloves, take it out.
1: Oh my God, that's how I am half the time, where I'm like, UPS closes at 6.30, okay, so if I open the kiln at 5.45, and then I've had to do that. I've had to be like, will the bubble wrap seal onto the piece because it's so hot? I hear it.
3: Is it really really an art show if there aren't warm pieces hanging <laughs> on the wall? Yeah, they're
1: not legit. Those people, if they're that yeah, organized, yeah. I don't know and if in I the like long run, them. I'm
3: doing what I love, and I, you know, I'm not really
0: complaining, but a mm. little bit stressed. Well, so. uh,
1: yeah, it's real. Mm-hmm. It's real life. Uh, Randy, mm-hmm. thank you for being here. Well, this is amazing. And anybody who wants to see us, which, which I hope you will, it's beautiful work, and there's lots of Buffalo. hints of the things that randy loves and the places that he loves and the people that influenced him to get to this place so i recommend you check out his instagram site
0: randy you're one of the most amazing teachers that i've ever met you're a good promoter and you're just excited to promote other people and like once you get through the gruffness, there, at first there is a little <laughs> gruffness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like nothing but love.
3: Well, thank you. It's been a joy. All right. And keep on making.
1: Well, so we are recording. Um, so should we start? No. You all good? No, I'm not good. All right. Well, too I'm bad.
3: I'm bad. bad, bad, bad to the bo- 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 bone.
1: Okay. So. Uh...
3: No, it's not the champagne of beers. that's Which one's That's, the Miller. Champagne of beers? Yeah. that's oh. Milwaukee beer. Well, I should know now, that. You're a Wisconsin girl. You should know that. Oh,
1: sure, I just don't drink Where beer. did you go to school? Wisconsin.
3: Oh, Jesus. he flunked out, eh? <laughs> I flunked
1: out of the beer class.
3: You know, I went to St. Olaf uh, did, because, uh, you know, I- Did you
1: see Rose there?
3: No, no, no! I was I saw Rose in in Madison. Oh, from
0: the Golden Girls. Golden Girls.
1: It took yeah, me a no, second.
3: Oh, no, no. I'm talking about the other Rose.
1: Oh. And I told
3: you about her, but um, didn't
1: she always talk about St. Olaf? Yeah, 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 yeah. That Rose,
3: okay. but not, not the red Shed Rose.
1: <laughs> not the red shed you, know, Rose. See, you
3: didn't say which Rose you were talking about. I have to make my bladder flatter. Okay, so I'm going to... Flatter,
1: flatter. All right, we'll be back. Um...